we, we're, we're going through Acts. We, he writes the, the letter to the churches at Galatia. And the first couple of chapters, he's just... I, I'm not so sure that he's mad at the, the church. He's mad at what has caused the church to be distracted. And because of that, he comes in with fire. Foolish Galatians, what have you done? You've listened to them. And then chapters 3 and 4, which is where we're going to wrap up today. We'll wrap up the end of chapter 4. He comes, he comes through with, here's six, six arguments that I have about why the law is no longer for you, but grace and freedom is for you. The first one was very personal because they had experienced it. And then he took them back to the scripture, and which they treasured. They treasured the scripture. Uh, and then he comes along, and he chapter the end of chapter three he has a very logical argument with them. And then uh, he he comes along in chapter four, and he has three more arguments. One of them being very sentimental there at the end that we covered last week. But before that, he had a historical argument. Well, we kind of do the historical thing here at the end as well when he uses an allegory to argue with them. And I'd kind of like to read that to you, the last 11 verses of Galatians, and then explain it to you because uh, if you really pull it apart and think about it, what he's done in Galatians and takes you back to Genesis, it'll kind of blow you away. Let me read it to you. Verse 21, it says, Tell me, those of you who want to be under the law, don't you hear the law? Like, he's literally saying to them that the Galatians would be rejecting God's gift and missing the purpose of the law altogether if they do this. He says, verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the impulse of the flesh. Can you relate to that? According to the impulse of the flesh. While the one by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things are illustrations. This is the allegory that he's using. These things are the illustrations for the woman represent the two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, everybody know what Mount Sinai is? It's where Moses received the Ten Commandments and bears children into slavery. And this is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, who does not give birth. Burst into song and shout, you are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many. 
more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Verse 28, he says, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. Just wait, I'll break it down for you. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. All right? So let's break this down. Let me take you back to the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Ishmael. Those would be his two boys. We have to go back to Genesis chapter 12 all the way through chapter 21. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, Abraham is 75 years old. Is that old? (laughs) Some of you in here are saying, no, it's not old. It's not old. Uh, At this point, at 75 years old, Abraham is called by God to go to Canaan. And God promises him that many descendants will be coming from his his own family. Both Abraham and his wife Sarah, they wanted children, but at this point they hadn't had children. Sarah was what you would call barren. And God was waiting until both of them were pretty much as good as dead before he would perform this miracle of sending them a son. Paul not only takes this story right here in Galatians chapter 4, but he also also uses it in Romans chapter 4. For those of you who have been through the Roman study, verses 16 through 25 of Romans 4 takes the same story. So now, 10 years later, in Genesis 16, 1 through 3, he's 85 years old. And this promised son has not yet arrived, and Sarah becomes impatient. She suggests that Abraham marry Hagar, her maid, and try to have a son by her. You realize God said, I promise you, you're going to have many descendants, Abraham and Sarah. This... act of marrying your servant was legal in that society back then. So what she was suggesting was not illegal, not inappropriate. It just wasn't what God had planned. It, did you hear that? It wasn't the will of God for them. And so Abraham followed her suggestion and married Hagar. Genesis 16, verses 4 through 16, he's 86 years old a year later. Hagar gets pregnant. And Sarah gets jealous. Wait, (laughs) you're the one that recommended this. It happened, and now Abraham and Hagar are pregnant, and you're jealous. Things are so difficult in the home that Sarah throws Hagar out. But the Lord intervenes at this point and sends Hagar back and promises to take care of her and her son. 
So when Abraham is 86, he has a son that is born and he calls him Ishmael. Jump forward to Genesis chapters 17 and 18. Now Abraham is 99 years old. And God speaks to Abraham and he promises him again that he will have a son by Sarah and he is to call him Isaac. (laughs) And later God appears to Sarah and reaffirms this same thing to Sarah. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. Now Abraham is 100 years old. The son is born. They name him Isaac. Isaac meaning what? Laughter. Why is it laughter? Because he's 100 years old. Sarah is as old as well. And they just had a child. That's kind of funny. And so they name him Isaac, just as God had commanded. But now when Isaac comes, his arrival creates this problem in the home. Ishmael has a rival. You see, for 14 years, Ishmael has been his father's only son. You get that? Ishmael's 14 years old. Think about the teenager in your home. And Abraham has a relationship with Ishmael. He's very dear to Abraham's heart. It's a big deal. Genesis 21, verses 8 through 14. Now Abraham is 103 years old. How old would that make Ishmael? 17. Hmm. Teenager. There was no teenagers back then. Literally, they became adults like 12, 13 years old. It was customary for the Jews to wean their children at about the age of three and to make a big occasion of it at that point. And at this feast where they're having for Isaac, Ishmael starts to mock Isaac, to make fun of him, to ridicule him, and to create trouble in the home. A 17-year-old is jealous of a 3-year-old. You tracking? And so now there's only one solution to the problem, and a costly one at that. Hagar and her son, Ishmael, have to go. So with a broken heart, Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. 17 years old, you're out. Because this is what the Lord told him to do. That seems pretty cruel. Abraham is pretty close to Ishmael. Tough deal. On the the surface, the story really appears to be nothing more than a family problem what it appears to be you know it's everybody's dysfunctional and it's kind of what this appears to be but underneath the surface there's a whole lot of meaning to this and a whole lot of really power spiritual power that's here in this story and i'll break it down with you today abraham's got two wives 
and two sons representing two spiritual realities. He teaches important lessons. First of all, let's begin with Paul and his two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and explain that their two births, their physical birth, makes us sinners, and their spiritual birth that makes us the children of God. If I'm to compare them, I would say that one is of the old covenant, and one is of the new covenant. Ishmael, being of the old covenant, represents the law. And Isaac represents grace. Just hang with us, we'll get there. Hagar was born, or actually Ishmael was born of Hagar the slave, where Isaac was born from Sarah the free woman, as Paul describes her. Ishmael was conceived of the flesh because they tried to do this on their own rather than listening to God. And Isaac was conceived miraculously by the Spirit. Ishmael represents the earthly Jerusalem and Isaac represents the heavenly Jerusalem which is free. So Isaac illustrates the believers in several different situations. First of all, he was born of God's power, right? I mean, Abraham and Sarah are old, almost good as dead. In fact, God deliberately waited 25 years after the promise before he granted Abraham and Sarah their son. He was born of the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 4.29. And of course, the Christian in this room is born of the Spirit. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Isaac came into the world through Abraham, who again represents faith, and Sarah, who represents grace. So he was born by grace through faith, as is every true Christian. Isaac is representation of this room right here. Another thing that he did, his name Isaac, meaning laughter, is that he brought joy. He brought absolute joy to his aged parents. And I think that when we come to a point of salvation, there's no question that it brings joy to our lives. And then we see... Those around us coming to salvation, it brings joy to our lives. Then it says he grew and he was weaned. That's back in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. Salvation is the beginning, it's not the end. After, it's like Luke was saying up here, after we're born, we have to grow. Peter talks about that in his letters. And along with maturity comes this weaning. We must lay aside childish things. It talks about that in Hebrews. He's literally saying, you guys talk about doctrinal and theology stuff. Why don't you just like let this play out in your life? Let's move on to the meat, away from the milk. It's easy to hold on to the toys as a child, but then you get older, you need to develop the tools. 
the other thing about him was that uh, he was persecuted. He was persecuted. Ishmael, the other son, representing the flesh, caused problems for Isaac. Just as our old nature causes problems for us, right? If we are spirit beings, don't we get persecuted by our own flesh? (laughs) Doesn't it bother you sometimes? Ishmael created no problems in the home until Isaac was born. Hmm, think about that for a second. You had no problem living under the law and doing things in your own strength until you became a believer. And then all of a sudden when you became a believer, there's conflict. Not between your natures, but basically up here, how do I process what I have done in the past with what I do now according to the Spirit. In Abraham's home, we see the same basic conflicts that Christians face today. Uh, Let me clarify to you right here. Hagar versus Sarah is like the law versus grace. Ishmael versus Isaac is like the flesh versus the spirit. It's all right here. This is why Paul's making this presentation to the church at Galatia. He's like, can't you see this? This is a story that you all know and you come from. It's important to know that you can't separate those four factors. The Judaizers were coming in and teaching the law that made behavior more spiritual, but Paul's making it clear the law only releases the opposition of the flesh. And there's this conflict. (laughs) There's a saying, the old nature knows no law and the new nature needs no law. The old nature knows no law. But the new nature needs no law. So now Ishmael and Isaac, they represent two lines of descendants that sprang from Abraham. According to Genesis 25 verses 13 and 18, Ishmael had... 12 sons. Did you know this? Ishmael had 12 sons who became the ancestors of the Arab tribes which occupied the territory from Havilah to Shur. That is the desert lands between Egypt and the Euphrates River. Let me show you this map real quick. You're going to catch on real quick. It actually says that Abraham, Abraham was promised this land in Genesis chapter 15, from the river in Egypt. See Egypt on the left. And that line that goes through there, that's the great river in Egypt. And it says, all the way over to the Euphrates River. The great Euphrates River. If you look, you can see Iraq right in the middle of the map. And Baghdad is right there pointed out. Just to the left of that, you will see a little yellow line, and that's where the Euphrates River runs. You with me? So all this land between Egypt and the Euphrates that was promised to Abraham is now taken over by Ishmael and his descendants. Hello? 
Are you tracking with me? Ishmael was sent away and was described as a wild donkey. And to this day, the descendants have that control from Egypt, really, all the way through that map. It's not me. It's not my opinion. It's what I'm reading. And this isn't like new. This is the Bible. This goes all the way back to Abraham, Genesis chapter 15. Do you get it? You with me? There's two sons. Isaac, who's free. Ishmael's a slave. One does it through the Spirit. One does it through the flesh. One counts on Jesus to do it. One counts on themselves to do it. It's kind of a big deal. It makes everything that we teach seem real. So Paul continues this. (laughs) The whole birth of Ishmael. It's It's that whole outworking of the philosophy, God helps those who help themselves. Let me tell you right now, that is not scripture. All right. If you said it and you claimed it as scripture, that is not true. I'll tell you what God does. He helps the poor. He helps the oppressed. That's what he does. That's scripture. But for you to think that you can help yourself, that's the whole old covenant. And it was proven that it doesn't work. So to make that statement would be false. And take that map away. So having explained now the significance of these two sons, he now turns into the explanation of the two wives, Sarah and Hagar. He's illustrating the contrast between law and grace here, and he's proving that the believer is not under the law, but is under this loving freedom that comes through God's grace. I want you to notice then the facts about Hagar that, that prove that the law no longer has power over the Christian. First of all, Hagar was Abraham's second wife. Second wife. God did not begin with Hagar. He began with Sarah. As far as God's dealing with men are concerned, God began with grace. How's that? He began with grace. The choice was made, and then along came the law, and the whole reason the law came along was to help them see that they needed grace. Hagar came along to help Abraham see that he needed grace. In Eden, God provided for Adam and Eve by grace, and even after they sinned in his grace, he provided them with coats of skin of covering. That was the first, think about this, When Adam and Eve sinned and they saw themselves as naked, what did God do? He clothed them. Think about this. How did he clothe them? He clothed them with animal skins. How did he get the animal skins? He had to kill the animal. There was a sacrifice that was made, the very first sacrifice. 
It's the first act of grace. He didn't give them laws to obey at that point. Wasn't giving them the law as a way of redemption for their sin. Instead, he just gave them a gracious promise to believe. In his relationship with Israel, also, God first also operated on the base of grace, not law. His covenant with Abraham, we went back to Genesis chapter 15, it was all grace. It was all based upon belief. The law hadn't come into existence yet. It says Abraham was credited righteousness because of his belief. It wasn't because of circumcision. It wasn't because of the law. It wasn't because of anything that he did other than his belief. So when God began to deal with the Israelites, it was first grace then the law. And like Hagar, Abraham's second wife, the law was added. It was added. And who did he add it to? He added it to the Israelites, to the Jews. Not to you, but to the Israelites and the Jews. Another thing about Hagar is Hagar was a slave. Five times in this section, Galatians chapter 4, these verses that I just read, it talks about her being a slave, a bondmaid, or a bondwoman. What did it say Sarah was? Sarah was a free woman. Paul's literally showing the contrast there. And, and although Sarah's position was one of freedom and one of liberty, Hagar married to Abraham, she was still a servant. She was still a slave. So, likewise, the law was given as a servant. And remember what we said the other day, the whole powdered sugar donut thing. What did the law do? It acted as a reflection. It showed them that they needed a Savior. Another thing about Hagar Hagar was not meant to bear a child. Abraham's marriage to Hagar was, was totally out of the will of God. And it was the result of Sarah and Abraham's unbelief and their impatience with God. <laughs> Hagar was trying to do what Sarah was supposed to do. And it absolutely failed. In other words, if Hagar represents law, the law is not going to give life. Isaac was born Abraham's heir, but Ishmael could not share in his inheritance because that wasn't the way that God planned it. It wasn't God's will. Now what has happened in Galatia is the Judaizers have come along and they've tried to make Hagar a mother again. They're like bringing the law back to these Gentiles who once have been set free from the law, and they're like saying, no, you've got to go back to the law. I'll tell you this. No amount of religion or legislation can give a dead sinner life. Only Christ can do that through the gospel. That's it. These Judaizers come along and say, hey, you're missing out on something. No, it's not going to cut it. 
again, Hagar gave birth to a slave. Ishmael was this wild man as it's described in Genesis chapter 16, verse 12. And even though he was a slave, nobody could control him. Hmm. Hmm. Nobody could control him, including his mother. Just like Ishmael, the old nature, the flesh is at war with God, and the law cannot change or control it. And by nature, the spirit and the flesh, they're contrary to one another. No amount of religious activity is going to change that picture. Whoever chooses Hagar, the law, for his mother is going to experience some kind of bondage. And then, finally, Hagar was cast out. It was Sarah who gave the order, cast out this bondwoman and her son, Genesis chapter 21, verse 9 and 10. And God, afterwards, subsequently, he approved it. Ishmael had been in the home for at least 17 years, but his stay was not to be permanent. His stay was only temporary. Eventually, it had to be cast out. The law had to be cast out and sent away. Are you tracking with me? There's not room in the household for Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Isaac. One pair had to go. Paul's saying here, it's impossible for the law and grace, the flesh and the spirit, to compromise and stay together. It's impossible. Man, he... He's taken this argument for the last two chapters now, and he's done everything he can to say to him, you guys, you've got to see this. And here we are, some 2,000 years later, and we're still dealing with the same issue. Really? The church still deals with having grace by faith, yet the law pushed on us. Happens all the time. When he's clearly saying, hey, the two totally separate, we're no longer under the law. It's impossible to mix law and grace, faith and works. And then, Hagar was not married again. That's a big point. Hagar was not married again. God never gave the law to any other nation, to any other people, it stopped right there. Never gave it to the church. Never gave you the law. So now for the Judaizers to pose the, impose the law on the Galatian Christians was to oppose the very plan that God had for them. Didn't even make sense. From the human point of view... I can sit here and, and think uh, some of you ladies in the room might think that uh, it seems cruel that God would command Abraham to send away his own son Ishmael. That, that's the, the mother inside of you. Because you can tell that Abraham loved Ishmael very much. But the truth is, it's the only solution for the problem. The wild man could never live with the child of promise. It wasn't going to happen. 
In a deeper sense, however, think of what it costs God to send his son to die for your sins. Yes, God sent Ishmael away because it had to be done to separate the law from freedom, the law from grace. But think about the sacrifice that he made. You sit here this month and celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ coming to earth. There's pain that came with that. That God would send his only son to come as a Jew to obey the law completely. The only person that ever did the only person that fulfilled the law perfectly, which made him the one and only true sacrifice because he did it perfectly, came as a baby, fulfilled the law, died for us so that your sins could be forgiven. There isn't a greater Christmas gift than that right there. Yep, I truly believe that Abraham's heart was broken. But at the same time, it meant liberty for Isaac. It meant he was set free. God's given his son gives us that same liberty. The last thing I'll say to you is this. You, you, you've got to keep in mind right here, you've got to keep in mind that legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards. It, it really means worshiping those standards and thinking that we're spiritual because we obey them. I, I have spiritual standards But I believe it's because there's a spirit living inside of me leading me and guiding me and doing it for me. It also means judging other believers on the basis of these standards can do away with that. I, in my world, in my uh, pastoral world, I see the mixture of law and grace all the time. And though my stomach turns, uh, I don't stand in judgment of them. I don't agree with them. I hurt for them. I hurt for them. I know some of you do too. Some of you see it. Legalism is one of the major problems among Christians today. I'm just saying it. Jesus came so that you may be set free. The last verse in chapter 4 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. We are children of Sarah, not Hagar. What's it going to take for you to get this? all Paul's saying. What's it going to take? What do I have to do? 
Paul's not done writing his letter. He's got two more chapters. In these last two chapters, he takes what he said, the passion of the first two chapters and the arguments in the next two chapters, and then he applies it to their life. So now we get into the last two chapters, and it's the application. How do you apply grace and be set free from the law? God, I pray... that the processing of your word here at Pinheads is truly because you're doing it, not because I'm doing it. That the people in this room who have the same spirit that I have, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, can clearly see how this all comes together. Not only in your word, but in our world today, how it's laid out, how it's very clear. Would you open our eyes and allow us to see it so that we may walk in the grace and freedom that you intended us to have? That's my prayer. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.